Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a good interlull morning to you. Good interlull morning to you too, Andrew. How's it been for you so far? Quiet. Good weather in Ireland. Played a lot of golf last week. Didn't think too much about football. Had a nice night out on on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, some food, uh, some drinks. Standing outside. Dublin was was great. It was alive. It was buzzing. And then yesterday. Watched a very violent movie. Oh, really? Which movie was that? It's called Sisu. Okay. It's basically like, hmm, how do I describe it? A sort of World War II era Finnish John Wick made with a kind of a nod to Quentin Tarantino's stuff. And it's extraordinarily violent. I mean, it's complete nonsense. Switch your brain off for, for 90 minutes. But this is the thing. It's 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes and it's good. And there's a lot of action. And then after 90 minutes, it's over. You don't there's have no to... eight minutes of added on time. No, no three and a quarter hour with, you know, 90 minutes of exposition before you even get to it. Movies are too long these days. I appreciate the 90 minute art form. So thank you to whoever it was that made that film. Yeah. Editing is important. I think that generally about a lot of things, they're too long. Yeah. Um, I know there's a, an irony to someone who works for The Athletic saying that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, keep things short. So you enjoyed it, Sisu? I did. I would recommend it. I mean, if you like that kind of thing, if you're not put off by explosions and very gruesome, gory death all the way through, then I think you you will enjoy it, yeah. But does it have an element of sort of tongue-in-cheek? Is there a self-awareness about the degree? Uh, of yeah, yeah. It's not taking itself too seriously at all. You know, there's a cartoonish sort of vibe to some of the action sequences. You know, a bit like, uh, you know, remember the A-Team when millions of people would be shooting and, and cars are exploding and nobody died. Mm. You know, that kind of that kind of vibe. Except in this one, lots of... Lots of Nazis die. That's the good thing about it, you know. Oh, um, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. That's so, something to enjoy. Yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, so you've not really engaged with the football at all over the past few days? No, not really. Not really. Have you? You are. Bits and pieces. I mean, I saw uh, a little bit of England's game against Ukraine, in which Alexander Zinchenko scored. I saw that. You saw that? Yeah. yeah. I didn't see the goal, but I did see that he scored. Nice goal. Yeah. Uh, he's playing midfield, as mm-hmm. he does for Ukraine, and sort of he does that for Arsenal, whatever his ostensible starting position is. Yeah. And scored to give uh, Ukraine the lead, and then Kyle Walker nabbed an equaliser just before half-time, beating the offside trap. Saka hit the bar in the second half. Okay. Very powerful shot from the edge of the box. 
sort of his his that new thing he does where he just cuts inside and absolutely smashes it towards the far top corner. Mm. Good, good save, actually. Tipped it onto the crossbar. Um, but no Eddie Nketiah. Eddie Nketiah not on the substitutes bench, although there was room for both Aaron Ramsdale and Sam Johnston. So, That's a bit weird, isn't it? Bit odd, but maybe he'll get his chance in the friendly against Scotland, who are... Mm flying high right now so i believe so i believe I, I saw a lot of people talking about scotland and how well they're doing but um that was as much as it's I not our business anymore now kieran tierney's on loan at rail sociedad <laughs> <laughs> the scotland the scotland of the south exactly uh, um i mean what, and can i the, ask the, you the, the, go, go on, on sorry. sorry well i was going to ask you you know the 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 new era england with harry Maguire and jordan henderson man i mean what What's that? Yeah. I, I have to say, I've been someone who really has um, defended Gareth Southgate quite a lot in his time as England manager. And I've been very appreciative of the job he's done, maybe more so from a cultural perspective than a tactical one. But I did find the decision to start Jordan Henderson pretty bewildering. Yeah. Um, I know that before Henderson moved to the Saudi Arabian Pro League, there was a conversation between him and Southgate, and I think there was some sort of measure of assurance. But I didn't expect that degree of assurance to involve, don't worry, Hendo, your, your starting place is safe. Hendy. Especially when you look at the bench, and there are very talented players on the bench for England at this point in time, people like Phil Foden, mm. Marcus Rashford. It wouldn't take a hugely imaginative rejig of the England midfield to get those players into the team yeah um, so yeah not the best that's always been the sort of the criticism though hasn't it of Southgate that there is a safety first kind of element and like you know it's borne out in terms of England's performances in in yeah. international tournaments but you know you can't you can't shake that sort of level of suspicion or whatever it is you know, th this could be the start of a new era for England. When you think about the fact they have Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice and Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford and Bakayo Saka and Jack Grealish and all of these players, you know, who, I don't know, would people like it better if there was more adventurous football, but it wasn't quite as effective or just the sort of, you know, this is the trade-off all the time, isn't it? You know, Yeah, I think actually what people want is to be entertained during qualifying campaigns. Uh, and then to have results in tournaments because basically the qualifying campaigns are fairly meaningless or, or certainly they feel it for long stretches. So the, the demand becomes, well, play good football, play mm -hmm. attacking football. But then when it gets to the crunch, um, any sort of uh, naivety is punished, right? So, yeah. you know, I, you almost have to do two different jobs. And I think Southgate's pretty good at the tournament stuff, the results side of it. But building an attractive team has not necessarily been his strong suit. And, um, yeah, the Maguire thing is interesting. I mean, look, there are a few injuries and absentees for England that, that would have led to a, a slightly different starting eleven. But it does feel odd that Maguire and Henderson are not playing, you know, top-level mm. regular football at this point in time. And yet, there they are in the England team. I suppose particularly bewildering for Arsenal fans, um, the, the ongoing exclusion of Ben White. Uh, who seems a much more apt choice at centre-half. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot to that particular yeah, situation. I mean, that's certainly not a decision that's being made from a purely footballing 
perspective. It's not based on form or how he's playing or anything no. like that, because otherwise he would be an absolute shoe in, in in that squad. Particularly when you're, you know, you're having to play someone like Maguire, who who just isn't playing for Manchester United, or when he does play, he's cheered onto the the field by opposition fans. It's <laughs> yeah, good to be reminded you know. of that. Yeah, I, listen, it, it can't be a football decision, really. Um, and the only thing I would say is kind of like, I don't think we should under, underestimate Ben White's own feelings about that and his mm. agency in that. You know, I'm not sure how cut up he is to not be part of this England squad right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that the situation is sort of fairly amenable to all sides at this present point in time. Um, and, and I don't think we'll see Ben White back with England under Gareth Southgate. Um, but we will see. Takahiro Tomiyasu had a hell of a game for Japan against Germany. I don't know if you got to see the compilation that was doing the rounds. I did. I saw the link to it on your blog this morning. Um, what a result. For the mm. first, you know, thing to say, four-one to Japan. I think the Germany manager was uh, sacked yesterday. Yeah, flick got um, the flick. Flick got the flick, indeed. Um, but crucially, not for being handsy. Um, and he, Tommy, actually looked excellent, didn't he? He really did. He really did. And look, I know that's where he plays his football for Japan is at the left-sided centre half. And the, the the observation I made on the blog this morning was like, we're all gutted by the injury to Jurian Timber, of course. But we signed a Jurian Timber two years ago in Tomiyasu when we brought him in for from Bologna. Yeah. Plays right back, can play left back, plays center half. He can give you quality and depth right across the, the back line. And I think, you know, he has been a little bit unlucky in terms of, you know, some of the injuries that have kept him out, you know, particularly last season where it was just a freak incident. He'd, you know, slipped and, uh, you know, his knee went and it turned out to be quite serious and, and ended his season. And I think there is a distinction to be made between a player who routinely, let's say, gets hamstring injuries or groin injuries or back injuries and somebody who's picked up a couple of injuries in, in a couple of years at Arsenal. I don't really view him necessarily as an injury-prone player, even though he's he's had injuries and I think it's really positive for us if he's going away with Japan playing as well as that getting competitive minutes under his belt gaining some confidence again and I think he you know particularly in the light of the the timber injury could be a really really important player for us this season definitely one thing I thought watching the highlights uh, that you posted of his performance well, seeing him in that left centre-back role, and, you know, we've seen him predominantly as a right-back mm. at Arsenal. We've seen him as a left-back as well. And he looks so good and so assured in that left-sided centre-half position that I always wonder, have we even seen him play in his best position in an Arsenal shirt? I'm not sure. You know, there's a chance that mm. could be his best position. I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, he looks really comfortable there. And again, something else I was struck by is because of Ben White and maybe because of Saliba, I think in my mind I've sort of... Um, not written off, but sort of slightly reevaluated how I regard Tommy Asu's ability on the ball. You know, I've, I look at him as maybe less assured than those two, but watching him play yeah. for Japan, his use of the ball with both right and left foot was really good. And and to be fair to him, in his you know fantastic first run in the side as a right back when he first came in, that was a real facet of his play—a two-footed distribution that enabled him to play through the lines and. 
Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we maybe haven't seen quite as much of that. Maybe it's just because we've not seen quite as much of him. Well, that's true. I mean, he was missing for the whole, you know, the end of last season. Yeah. This season, um, you know, he's uh, he's had that red card against Crystal Palace. But I remember we discussed it before when he came in and when we looked at the, the, the player when he signed, one of the things that stood out was not just the versatility, but the ability with two feet. And that was a yeah. conversation that we had with uh, around some of the signings that, that that were coming into the club, this ability on both feet. I remember, you know, good switches from right back over to the left side with his left foot. You know, mm-hmm. it gives you that option. And I think maybe one of the reasons why we haven't seen, well, look, we haven't seen as much of him in the team as, as he would like, I'm sure. But, you know, confidence is such an important thing for a footballer and he lost his place. Ben White came in and was probably the best right back in the Premier League last season while he was while he was playing there. And that can maybe have an impact on, on a player too. So I, I really hope that Tommy Asu starts to feel his oats again, if you like, and, and he can pull off some of those um, those moves and those passes that we saw in the game against Germany. You're right. He was just so assured on both feet. There was one cushioned first-time pass, maybe with his left foot where he came into midfield and played it out to a guy on the on the right, maybe just outside the, the, the box. And it was just so perfectly judged. Um, you know, there's, there's real, real quality in there. And I thought the physical defending as well was, was fantastic. There was a, there was a shoulder to shoulder, wasn't there on, was it Sané? Yeah. Chase back. Yeah. Um, caught up with Leroy Sané, which is no mean feat and then won the ball brilliantly. Yeah. And a lot of these passes he was playing were under quite a lot of pressure. You know, Germany seemed to be pressing Japan, um, and yet he had that composure. I must say, he seemed to sort of, that Japan team looked pretty well coached and they looked like there's a lot of familiarity between them. He seemed to have that kind of awareness of, well, look, if I if I turn this way, I'm going to have a yeah. a teammate there. And, and when you're shifting positions all the time and not a regular in a team, as he has been at Arsenal, you know, maybe some of that kind of moment-to-moment intuition isn't quite there. Um, the other thing about Tomiyasu and... You know, I don't know Tomiyasu, so I'm always wary of this kind of psychology. We, we project a lot onto players that we don't necessarily know. But from the little bits and pieces he has said in public, he does seem to be someone for whom confidence is a, a big factor. And he seems to be someone who takes um, his dips in form or his misfortune on the field particularly hard. Um and maybe it takes a little longer for that to be rebuilt. But mm. I, I'm completely with you. You know, last season I said he was the fifth defender in the back four. I, I kind of still think that's the case. I don't think there's a position that he couldn't step into very, very comfortably. Um, and if he can stay fit, I think that'll be as much of a boost as the loss of Timber is a blow. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And look, there will be games and there will be plenty of football to play throughout the season. Like Zinchenko isn't a a guy, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. And if I am, I, I apologize and I'll eat some humble pie. But I don't think based on what we've seen from Zinchenko, both at Arsenal and Manchester City, that he's a guy who's going to play 90 minutes every three or four days on a consistent basis. So I think there is a need to to manage his fitness perhaps more than other players. And in the absence of Timber, I know Kivior can play at, at left back as well, but 
Tommy Asu is an obvious candidate for that. So I think he's going to get plenty of minutes. I think he is going to get plenty of minutes. And I keep fingers crossed that he can stay fit because I think he's a, he's a fantastic player. Um, and maybe it's got, as you say, lost in the wash a little bit when Ben White has come in and done well. You've got Saliba. You've got the Gabriel-Saliba partnership. Everyone was excited about Timber and all the rest of it. I just think, you know, if he stays fit, he's going to be a big player for us. Yeah, and he played his part against United, came off the bench, didn't he? Sinchenko didn't last uh, the 90 minutes, if I recall correctly. So, you know, hopefully that will just be another little lift to him and his confidence. We are entering a period of the season where there are going to be a lot of games to go around and and I think he's someone who can step in Mm. um, very comfortably to that team. Arsenal news has been fairly thin on the ground, but Nicolas Pepe has left club... Mm -hmm terminated his contract he has joined Trabzon Spor in in Turkey I think only on a one-year deal maybe uh, uh, didn't get into the details of that but maybe there's a, an option there for more disappointing end to a career which many people were very very excited about when he signed it was a really exciting signing that summer in the summer of 2019 wasn't it Nicolas Pepe he's coming to Arsenal uh you know, he had good moments and bad moments. And how do you reflect on his time at the club? And, and how do you reflect on the departure? You know, I think it's impossible. You know, we've always said transfer fees are not the fault of the player, but they are very often something that a player has to carry around with them. Um, so based on the transfer fee we got in, based on what we didn't get for him going out and everything in between, how do you reflect on Nicolas Pepe? Um, I guess quite predictable that it might end in this fashion. Mm. Uh, it has felt that way for a little while now. Uh, naively, I hoped there would be some sort of fee, although I didn't expect it to be anything close to what we paid. Um, having to terminate his contract... I mean, look, maybe there's been a bit of a saving on his wages in agreeing to do that. Who knows the ins and outs of what the payoff will actually entail. Um, It's obviously a really disappointing end. And it's been a strange few years in his career. I mean, my overriding feeling, actually, having sort of seen him go, and I think there were a few compilations doing the round of the goals he scored for Arsenal. There were a lot more of them than maybe I had accounted for. Mm. Um, I guess as with Tommy Asu, you know, foot, memories in football can be short. And it's easy to forget there was a season or two where he really was a regular feature in this Arsenal team. I mean, I was looking at the, the 2021 campaign and I think he played uh, across all competitions 47 times, scoring 16 goals, um, 29 Premier League appearances. And I think that year he might have been voted second in our player of the season, which... Mm. seems a world away right now. Um, So there was a period where he was at least contributing uh, and then it just seemed to really go south for him. And I think think there was clearly talent there and I think maybe under a different manager, there may have been a route to him sort of fulfilling his potential at Arsenal. But uh, I just think there was clearly no chemistry, no real understanding between... Pepe and Arteta mm. and that was sort of the death knell for his Arsenal career. Was the 2020-21 season where he got those goals I, my recollection is a clutch of them came right towards the end That's of the fair, season. I think yeah. He scored six in the Europa League or so, something like that But and there was a bunch of goals 
uh, I think, in the final few games. Was um, that the season we brought Willian in? Yes, it would have been. Right. It would have been. Yeah. But, yeah, I I just... um, Strange player, I have to say. Like, again, watching those goals, so many of them are so brilliant. And we talk now about Bukai Saka being able to do that thing where he cuts in from the right and bends it in the far top corner. Well, Pepe did that many, many, many times for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about Saka is that he can go two ways and Pepe could only really come back inside. He never really went with his right foot at all, which I think made him a bit predictable. But I don't necessarily think it was what he was capable of doing on the ball that was the problem. Yeah. I think it was not an unwillingness, but he just wasn't what Arteta was looking for off the ball, which of course is like ironic when they brought in Willian that summer, who's even worse off the ball than Pepe ever was uh, in that period where he was, you know, in the team until such time as he wasn't in the team because Mm -hmm. he was just so terrible for us. But I I, I feel like that might've been a bit of a sliding doors moment, you know, for Pepe having ended the previous season, including the FA Cup final where Aubameyang scored two goals, but Pepe was absolutely superb that day in the final. You know, do you do you lean into him a bit more? Do you work with him a bit harder? Do you try and get more out of him? But they, somebody anyway, made a decision that, that Willian was a good, uh, a good idea. Um, very obviously, it wasn't. And I do wonder if that had a a fairly significant effect on on Pepe, which, you know, we talk about confidence. What does that do to your confidence when you've had a good end to the season and the club bring in a kind of washed-up guy to play in, in your position? You know, which isn't to make excuses, but I do think that his defensive frailties, if you want to call them that, were too marked for him to ever truly be a, a success under Mikel Arteta. I'll ne- you know, I'll never forget the the game against Aston Villa when Bernd Leno had to make a brilliant save towards the end. And, and like, I think it was Pepe oh, yeah. who gave away the free kick and he brought him on as a sub in the last few minutes. And surely the instructions would be like, don't do anything stupid. Just keep your shape, you know, track back when you need to. And there was maybe a couple of moments before he gave away that free kick where he was bypassed or didn't quite get back. And Arteta was like immediately going mad. And then he gave that free kick away. Leno made the save, of course, and all the rest of it. But I just wonder if that's the moment where Arteta went, nah, I can't do it with this guy. And, uh, you know, he ended up, he ended up on loan. It's another contract termination. Mm. How, how do we rationalize those things? Cause you can, you can say, look, there are all kinds of reasons why a player's contract has been terminated. When you look through the list at Arsenal, I don't know that any other club has done quite as many of these as we have, from Ozil, Socrates, Mustafi, Kolasinac, Aubameyang, Pepe, Willian. Um, there's a couple more as well, I think. And, you know, it. I think we said previously it sets a precedent in a way, doesn't it, for for other players and for their representatives to say, well, if you were willing to do that for that guy, you know, why should we accept anything other than that for our guy? Um, but there are obviously other factors involved when it comes to, to selling and to moving players on and, and all the rest of it. 
Um, it doesn't help with the perception that we're not good at, at, at moving on players. No, no. I, I did think I do think it was a counter. Uh, Tim Stillman wrote a good column yep. for Ask Blog about yep. this, where he kind of, you know, laid out that this is happening. Mm, similar situations, at least, are occurring at other Premier League clubs, um, and the difficulties of of moving some of these players on 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 the high salaries they're on. I, I think actually, maybe to say we're bad at selling. While it is true, I think it's only half the story. I think the other half of the story is that we made bad decisions on purchases in the past, potentially, and yeah. contracts that led us to this situation. Um, you know, the, the signing of Pepe and the inability to move him on is is probably in part about the, the size of the fee Arsenal paid for him and then spent a few years looking to, you know, at least recoup a good chunk of and the salary they put him on, which was probably inappropriately high on both counts, certainly on the fee front. In the summer, Arsenal signed Pepe. Mm. You know, clubs were aware earlier in that summer they could have bought him for almost half that price. Um, mm. So mm. I, I, think as, I think as bad as we are at selling, what's slightly tricky is that really what's happening is we're paying for recruitment mistakes uh, in some of these instances. Um, and... It, it, it's interesting because obviously Edu's the guy in charge now and these kind of payoffs are on his uh, CV effectively. But he would make the case, well, I wasn't particularly involved in the signing of many of these players. Um, mm. There are some notable exceptions, but it, it's, it's, it's disappointing. But in the case of Pepe, I can't say I'm surprised by that one. But, I mean... Would you say you're surprised that in a summer where loads of money has been sloshing around, not just in the Premier League, but across mm. Europe because of um, you know the influx of cash to clubs from Saudi Arabia, for example, you know, whatever about Pepe's time at Arsenal, wrong player, wrong club, wrong time, all the rest of it. Are you surprised that like nobody else out there other than Trabzon Spore was apparently interested? Perhaps there were some vague, you know, inquiries that you never made public, but it feels, you know, he's only 28. He's still got a few years left uh, in the tank. There is talent there. You know, I know he's damaged goods, if you want to call it that. But it is surprising to me that there wasn't anyone else out there. I know the wages and all that. But if Arsenal are going to terminate a contract, you know, you, you, you're you basically going to have um, a free transfer to wherever you want to go. So I, I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't any more interest in him. And it took until, you know, after the deadline for him to become a free agent, obviously the only place he could move then was, you know, uh, Turkey where the Turkish window was open, that that nobody else seemed willing to take a chance. I'm a little bit surprised by that. I thought maybe a club in France, given his performances for Lille. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't exactly, you know, torn it up during his loan spells away from the club. Um, but he's not been a dis complete disaster either. I, I am a bit surprised there wasn't more interest, but then I, I keep coming back to this thing of like, I don't really know how much more Arsenal can do to generate that interest. I really don't mm. know. Like, 
you could have conversations with clubs and say, hey, we've got this guy. Are you interested? You can shop somebody around. But if, if no one wants to bite, mm. I, I just don't know what you do at that point. Maybe there's something up. Maybe the timings, you know, you say he was released because he, and then he could only go to Turkey. Maybe if Arsenal had, I don't know, if there'd been more interest earlier in the summer, they could have precipitated some sort of small scale auction for him. I, I have mm. no idea. I, I really think it's, um, I, 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 if I was sat with Edu, I don't know what I would tell him to do about Pepe. Do you? Mm, no, no. I'm just saying I'm I'm a little bit surprised at a guy who was high profile a few years ago just didn't generate any interest yeah. in the market. I'm just a bit surprised. I'm not saying it's necessarily a, a, a an Arsenal problem or a problem unique to Arsenal. Maybe there's you know, chatter in the market or around clubs that we're not aware of. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, the Saudi league was sort of the great hope for Pepe, right? That was, they were sort of the, what might have bailed Arsenal out of Mm. a bad situation. But with the, if they, let's just say that this summer, Saudi pro league hadn't come onto the scene and hadn't started buying up, you know, players from European leagues who were no longer wanted at their clubs. That came out of nowhere. Mm. If that hadn't existed, I don't think there would have been any real uh, hope that we we might get some decent money for him. That was the sole hope. Maybe Arsenal have suffered from not having as close links with that league as some other clubs. Um, But then, is that what we want? Mm. I don't know. It's it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Well, look, I hope... uh... I hope he can sort of rekindle his career because, you know, like we said, there is talent there. There's an exciting player in there sometimes. Um, I think if you were playing sort of transfer bingo, trying to work out like where an unwanted Premier League player might end up, up, Traps on Spore would be pretty high on the list, wouldn't it? It it feels like it's sort of that kind of destination. But I I hope he can turn things around. I, I do think there's a lot of talent there and sort of a lot of improvisational skill. And at certain times under certain managers, mm. I think he would have flourished. I think Arsene Wenger, for example, is the kind of guy who could have got a tune out of Pepe. But I think a very positional, very tactical coach was just never, you know, unless he heavily adapted, which clearly he couldn't. Yeah. It was just never going to work. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, what else? A disappointing weekend for for Arsenal women. Who, Man, really disappointing. Yeah. I know Tim is going to cover this in a bit more detail this week. He'll have a podcast uh, this week discussing the, the sort of the game and the fallout and the ramifications and all the rest of it. But... Yeah, very disappointing to go out at this early stage of what was a, an extremely convoluted qualifying process. Yeah, and uh, hot off the heels of an international tournament as well. So yeah, clubs are still really early in their preparations. Um, but yeah, uh, it, you know, Champions League provided some brilliant highlights last season. And I think, you know, uh, everyone was kind of looking forward to to hopefully be in there again, having qualified last season. So to miss out, especially on penalties, which is pretty cruel. Mm. Um, really, really, really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, there's not really much of a silver lining to it, I guess. 
Arsenal have to hope they can focus on the on the on the domestic fronts. But yeah, Champions League football is a big, big thing. So yeah. real shame to miss out on it. Uh, yeah, and as Tim pointed out on Twitter today, in terms of the scheduling and all the rest of it, there is, you know, there was a World Cup in the summer. Um, then players have to come back for qualifiers, and then there's an international break the week before the the Women's Super League starts. Yeah, which is mental. You know, I know th- there's a lot of discussion about you know injuries in the women's game and all the rest of it, but stuff like that really can't help. That if you know players are being worked all season, then through the summer, then they come back, and you know a big part of preseason, let's not forget, isn't just about you know, tactics and all the rest of it. It's about fitness. It's about conditioning. It's about getting players ready. And clubs won't be able to do that with some of their players because they're being pulled from pillar to post, you know, by internationals. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not an expert on this, and Tim will obviously know a lot more than me, but I think with the growing exposure of the women's game, there's naturally a kind of appetite to um, get the game out there and get yeah. it in, you know, plumb broadcast positions as much as possible. Um, but that has to be balanced with, you know, the welfare of the players. And it, it does seem crazy to me uh, to have that international break where it is and, you know, to be playing high stakes fixtures like these Champions League qualifiers so soon off the back of the World Cup mm. uh, doesn't quite look right from the outside. So, yeah, the circumstances, you know, weren't the kindest to Arsenal, but still... Um, a real shame because, yeah, I'm sure there would have been some great nights uh, in the Champions League. Hopefully yeah. more to come in future. And congrats to Alessio Russo, who is off the mark, at least, in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, right. I mean, is there anything else from the weekend or from the international break that we've overlooked? No, I think, honestly, the Pepe thing uh, was, the, was the main, and, and the, the women's news was kind of the main thing that dominated. Gabriel made his debut for Brazil. I don't know if you saw that. Saw a bit of that. Saw him then sitting there with an ice pack on his groin. Didn't care yeah, for that. Yeah, he's back in training, apparently. So no long-term concerns, seemingly. Mm. Uh, seems crazy to me that that was his debut. I mean, I know they've got a lot of talent to pick from, but um, yeah, surprised it's taken that long for him to get that recognition. I thought I read somewhere that he was not punished, but because he chose to stay and uh, be there for the birth of his child rather than go to a previous call-up, there was a, a sort of there were consequences for him. Sure, well, that is that they are the actions of a bad man, um, so they deserve punishment. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and no, I think that was it. Zinchenko's goal. Um, Scotland are the best team in the world. I think that's kind of it, really. I like this from Rowdy Ruddy Puddin on the Discord. <laughs> now that Pepe is left for Turkey, can we address why all our weirdest matches with him were against Wolves? If I remember right, <laughs> one of their annoying players lured him into headbutting them by being annoying. Then he scored a gorgeous goal that got overshadowed by the David Luiz knee causing a red card and a penalty. And I feel like his Arsenal swan song was scoring a goal and setting up a Lacazette goal in a comeback win against them as well. It was it went down as an own goal, but yeah, that very, very late goal uh, to beat Wolves uh, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, and he scores a brilliant equaliser in that game in the mm. last 10 minutes, sort of swivelling on the edge of the box uh, and turning it into the net. Yeah, something crazy happened whenever he came up against Wolves. Um, I feel like a lot of his goals were against West Brom as well. It, someone would have to run <laughs> the numbers, but uh, and maybe that's why the numbers are higher than you would anticipate. But yeah, whenever he played West Brom, he seems to have a good time. But then who doesn't? 
Uh, let me see. Yeah, uh, his record against. Let's see how many goals he scored. Uh, 50. 50 goals against 50 West Brom. 50 goals against West Brom. Um, boom, boom, boom. There's definitely some. Uh, He's got two. Yeah, I can't find it. West Brom has only scored two goals against West Brom. Forgive me then. Forgive me. I think he, he did have a knack of sort of. He did score in some big games. Don't get me wrong. He scored against Man U. Didn't um, he score in like a FA Cup? Quarter final against Sheffield United was it in the cold? Maybe I think it, Sheffield United. I feel like he did well as well. Mm. The thing is, he did have a knack for sort of beating up on the bad teams. Um, I don't say that to sort of downplay his ability. It's actually quite a useful thing at times. But you know, if you look at him in the Europa League, he absolutely ripped it apart at points. And mm. similarly, Sheffield United, West Brom, he was you know banging in goals and braces here and there. Mm-hmm. He Because on a talent level, he was just superior to a lot of these guys. Uh, it was, you know, when it came to Arteta's model that I think he, he really struggled. But yeah, yeah, I, I did farewell, like, Pepe. Yeah, farewell. I did like a couple of the goals that he scored where he'd sort of run into the box and then just sort of pass it into the bottom corner. He scored a few like that, yes. which were very I've nice. I've got a question about your favourite Pepe goal. Shall we, shall we leave that and come to it later? Uh... I mean, we, no. might, we might as well talk about it now. Okay. Seeing as we're on it. Well, so Emil, A239 on the Discord said, what is your favourite Pepe goal? Um, he, what do you, yeah, I, there was one goal that he scored, which may be the one you're thinking of, which I personally loved, which was, which was against Sheffield United at mm. home, where he picked it up right on the right touchline, dribbled in field and just slotted it into yeah. the far corner. I do like goals like that, but I think... It's Darren Ramsdale, actually, that goal. I think my favourite Pepe goal, I know it's not the most important by any means, was a goal in the Europa League against Dundalk. Oh, the right-footed one. The right-footed goal, yeah. it's um, That's the sensation. I think in terms of skill, that's that's probably the best. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to look at it here again. He rolls it under his left foot and then bends it with his right. Yeah. Hang on. Here it is. Whoop. Yeah, the way he digs that out from under his uh, feet to put it top corner. Very, very good goal. I think that's my favourite, yeah. yeah. Horrible right. mentions from me to the free kicks against Victoria um, and his goals, his oh, identical yeah. goals against West Ham and Brighton away, which were like thumped in the far top corner. But uh, I, I like that Dundalk one and I, I like that so All right. Sheffield United one. Okay, well, look, good luck, Pepe. We will take a little break here. We'll come back with some of your questions and more in part two right after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Um, I might go first today, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Would be handy if I'd got the question, but ah, here it is. Uh, it's from jmart91 on the Discord. He says, goodly morning, gents. Uh, it's been a few years since he left, and with his birthday the other day, what are your retrospective thoughts on Lauren Koscielny's career at Arsenal? It felt awkward the way he left, but for me, he was a great servant to the club, and I don't know if people noticed or not, but apparently Lauren Koscielny retired from football uh, this week. Oh, did he? I, I think he so. Had, to be oh, maybe he had. I thought I saw a load of stuff... Uh, uh, maybe it was, he, he was out of contract, and it was sort of, will he, won't he get a club, but... Um, oh, he announced his retirement in 2022, apparently. So what the yeah. fuck am I talking about? <laughs> he had a birthday this week, that's for sure. Maybe he just, on for his birthday, he announced his retirement again, um, just for a bit of attention. Still retired, guys, just yeah. in case you were wondering. So you know. Yeah. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but I personally was not particularly offended by the manner of his departure or his unveiling at Bordeaux. In fact, I thought some of the outcry was uh, weird, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people inferred a lot from the symbolism of him taking off an Arsenal shirt and having a Bordeaux one underneath. And I think people really took that as a huge slight. But I think it really literally was just about changing kit. <laughs> that honestly <laughs> is my opinion. Um and so I've never sort of the no great redemption of Koscielny is required from my perspective. I think he was a terrific player and a brilliant servant to the club who played in pain a lot of the time uh, to a high level. And uh it things did end slightly unfortunately in terms of like you know him wanting the move and how he went about getting it refusing to go on tour listen i'm not saying that's great but he wanted out and it's, i sort of think that's what players do you know yeah. when they really want to go somewhere that is what players do i i'm i'm relatively accepting of that they're not fans they're not like us it's their careers it's their lives it's their families lives and they have agency and try and take it into their own hands. And I can make my peace with that. I think he was a brilliant player and he sort of belongs alongside um, sort of Bakary Sanya, I would say for me as a quality of player who, who never won the league with Arsenal, but I think absolutely had the capacity to do that in a different 11. I mean, I, 
I really think there's more to the Kishelny departure situation than, than meets the eye or that we know. I've, I've never quite understood what drove him to do what he did by refusing to go on tour. But based on everything that we'd ever seen from Kishelny before that, it feels like he had reached his limit with whatever was going on behind the scenes. You know, like you say, he played through pain. He he picked up, I was in the 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 stadium that night in Madrid against Atletico Madrid where he, he got that injury. Yeah. Uh, and it was really sad, but I think as well a consequence of him playing with with an ongoing Achilles problem and, you know, unfortunately he had a, a bad injury. They made a good video or a good little sort of movie thing, didn't they, on the official site about his rehab and his, his rehabilitation and how tough it was and how, how hard he had to work and all the rest of it. So when you see that video, you see the character uh, uh, that he had to show to go through that injury and come back, you know, it's it's at odds with me, for me anyway, that, that someone who's got that kind of character and dedication and professionalism would then do something quite as extreme as he did you know, to, yeah. to, to get away. So I think there's more to that than we know. Almost certainly. And I don't claim to know everything about it at all. The only things I do know are he was unhappy with the way he was used and his rehabilitation was managed in terms of how frequently he was asked to play, uh, having just come back from fairly significant injuries. Mm. And the other thing is that he had an understanding that he he could go in that summer. Uh, which was sort of not carried through. And he was very frustrated about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think the the fact as well that we replaced him with David Luiz without wanting to open that whole can of worms again, I think is, is a bit suspect to me, you know. Um, but I think as a player, you know, when he came in first, he was a bit awkward. Mm -hmm. Took him a while to get to grips with the Premier League, but... You know, once he established himself, I think he was a fantastic defender, a really, really good defender, a threat like Gabriel in the opposition box as well. He scored some some very good goals for us, some really good headers, scored an FA Cup final goal, if you remember, in 2014 to help save our fucking bacon that day yeah. Yeah. Uh, against against Hull City. And, uh, you know, I think the, the way he left the club is obviously damaged his reputation for some fans but I really liked him as a player I always felt once he was established I felt much better with him in the team than not in the team and that's sort of my uh, you know my blueprint or my marker for how you how you judge a player you know would you miss them if they weren't on the pitch and I think for for quite a few seasons if he hadn't been in the team we would have missed him you know yeah his partnership with Mertesacker in particular was really excellent yeah. and you know helped carry us over the line to top four I think of more than one occasion. Um, yeah, I, I think he, I think he, I think he was very, very able player and so quick. You know, pre, pre the injuries, his kind of sprinting speed was phenomenal. And mm. uh, there was a spell just before the injuries took hold, but once he'd kind of acclimatized to English football, where I thought he was brilliant. Um, before I do another question, I was just thinking sure. during the break. Uh, and I'm sort of going to be a bit Jekyll and Hyde here, sort of good cop, bad cop between part one and part two. But <laughs> just thinking about Pepe again, I think, I think, I think we've been quite kind to Pepe in this pod. Like we've talked a lot about oh his goals and what he contributed, and um, 
you know, surprised there wasn't more interest in him. But I think I may have been, I think it's just for balance, <laughs> I should say. There's probably a bit of rose-tinted spectacles there. There were lots of days as well where he was absolutely infuriating to watch. Um, and I think that he, unfortunately for him, despite his talent, he will go down as one of Arsenal's worst ever signings. Uh, oh, I don't disagree. I don't yeah. disagree with that. You know, the way it's played out and everything else. I, you know, I just feel like we we did our best to take an objective look at why it went the way it did. You I know, think you that's could- fair. I think that is, I think, and I think we did do that. But I just think for context, it's also worth adding that there are times he just kept trying to cut back onto his left foot and I thought I was going to have to smash my head against the wall of the Emirates Stadium watching it. Yeah, um, we mentioned that. Like, he could only go one way. We, we mentioned it in, in the context of Saka being able to use both feet very effectively, which is what makes him such a good option on that right-hand side versus Pepe, who, you know, yeah, his decision-making at times was terrible. Um, oh, yes, and that was the thing I meant to say, that... I think you're right that the signing of Willian was in some respects a sliding doors moment for Pepe. But I think there's another kind of sliding door Mm. that may have even greater kind of significance, which is the emergence of Bukayo Saka. That door is much slidier than the Willian door. It's the yeah. slidiest door that ever could slide. It's it's pretty well greased, that door. And and I think, um, first of all, of course, we should be enormously grateful for for that and uh, that that happened and in mm. some ways Pepe's struggles and certainly William's struggles struggles afforded us uh, that opportunity for Saka to blossom but I do think that you know one of the downfalls for Pepe was just that Saka Saka's star ascended and he found himself being compared to a guy who could do a bit of everything in a way that he could not um yeah so there you go. There you there, go. It turns out there was more there was more juice in the Pepe thing, basically. Yeah, you just wanted to stick the knife in. I just wanted to go and I'd really stick it to him, you know. Uh you know me, I'm vindictive and cruel. This and is true. I've, You've done a very good job of of fooling people um <laughs> into thinking that you're not that person, but I know. I know. I'm the kind of guy <laughs> who would miss a football match for the birth of his child. I'm one of the bad guys. <laughs> Uh, that's okay, why, you, what about that's why this? you haven't been picked for Brazil. Sure, that's true. That's true. That's one of the main reasons. One of them. Um, what about this? It's broad. Ollie Tucker. Good day, gents. I don't know if he's Australian, but maybe. Do you think the game against Everton could be a potential banana skin? Post-international break and Arsenal haven't won a Goodison Park in the league since 2017-18. 27? Is that right? Jesus. I believe I'm right in saying, because I was looking back at the old Ask Blog um, reports of our defeat at Goodison Park last season. Right. And I think I'm right in saying that it also came off the back of a win against Manchester United. Wow. Spooky. Was that... (laughs) Was that the game... Wow. Was that the game when... Ronald Koeman was in charge. What, that we won? Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, the, the one last season was off the back of the United, for the record. Uh, the, the loss last oh, season. Oh, the loss. The yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember the game that we won. 2017-18. I honestly don't know. Do you want to 
Let's have a look. Arsenal 2017-18. Everton 2, Arsenal 5. Oh, Lacazette scored. I remember. Monreal scored. Macedonia scored. scored. Everybody had a goal. Aaron Ramsey got a goal. Alexis Sanchez got a goal. I seem to recall that it was one of those moments where it's like, yes, Lacazette can score away from home. Yeah. <laughs> a false dawn, I believe it's known as. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I do. Wayne Rooney scored that day for. I mean, what the what, hell? What madness is this? Football is really weird sometimes, doesn't you? Ever go back and look at like an old result and you go, who? What? I mean, it I would know. be a bit like, um, you know, Manchester United fans at some point in the next 10 years are going to look back on that. That and Johnny Evans, do you remember Johnny <laughs> Evans was playing for us again? And sometimes yeah. you go back and you see these like weird uh, sort of events or things or players that, and you're like, I really don't remember that. It's sort of like, I think my classic example of this is George Weah playing for Chelsea. Right, yeah. It's like, what? It's hard to believe it happened. Yeah, but it did. Yes. I. I by the way, I was looking back as we've been speaking about last mm. season. We did indeed have two great results in the league. We won at White Hart Lane in January and followed that up with a 3-2 win over Manchester United. Our next league game was the 1-0 defeat against Everton, but in between there was the FA Cup defeat to Man City. Right. Um, so that was a bad few days all round. But, um, and then of course we drew with Brentford in a game we must never speak of again. Um, could it be a banana skin, Andrew? I mean... Daishi and the boys. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly could. Let's uh, be clear. They have been rubbish. But this is what makes me even more uh, fearful that they will just sort of, you know... did Spring into life. Yeah. They, like, won one game last season until they beat us or something. It was something just bullshit. Like, they haven't won for a thousand years. Yeah. And like, but then they are, had the new manager bounce, and everyone knows like, that's yeah. unbeatable. We are, you know, we are the team when it comes to those kinds of things that a team that has a, a been on a terrible run absolutely wants to, to face. Yeah, everyone wondered how Frank Lampard clung on to that job for so long. And it's because the Everton board were looking at the forthcoming fixture against Arsenal yeah. and saying, deploy the new manager bounce then specifically. Look, they haven't been good. And I think on the basis of their form, on the basis of their squad, on the basis of our squad and who we should have available, it's a game that Arsenal should win. But but sometimes you have a record at a at a particular ground that becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, like, I can't be confident because of just how spawny and jammy and annoying the wins that they've had over us have been. Because at home... We fucking murdered them last season, didn't we? Yes. We murdered them. Let and me be clear. We should destroy them. They are diabolical. They are going down and they are rubbish. However. <laughs> no, no. No, there's no, no however. No, however. <laughs> we, no, we should annihilate them. That's my opinion. Uh, and anything less, I will be a very sad boy. Right. Well, uh, listen, I mean, I guess it is a banana skin for all those reasons, right? A trap game. Mm. Um, because on paper, we 
we should take them apart. This is a team that still has Ashley Young playing fullback in 2023. They sold their only creative player in Alex Awobi. I, you know, mm. they've still got Neil Mope. No, they don't. Oh, has he gone? Yeah, he's gone. He went back to Brentford. Well, that could be a game changer. Yeah. He went back to Brentford. Yeah, he went back to Brentford. I thought that was weird, but then I realised that he had previously been at Brentford. I didn't realise he'd been at Brentford before he was at uh, at Brighton, you see. Right. right. So, yeah, they've got... Well, listen, Mopé or no Mopé, they are not good, Andrew. Arsenal... I I agree, they're not, but... Have to win that game. Come on. They do, they should, they must, but will they? Even last season... What was it? 1-0, they scored off a set piece. They did have a couple of other chances, I seem to remember. Mm. Um, Calvert-Lewin played and was a tricky, but I think he's got another one of his injuries. He does, yeah, I think so. His think cheek so. fell off, something like this. Poor guy. I mean, Poor genuinely, guy. that guy cannot catch a break. No. Um, I do feel for him a little bit, but yeah, we've got... No, 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 no. No, no slip-ups. Okay. James has made it so. You have decreed that there should be and will be no slip-ups against Everton. So yeah. We um, should te- destroy them. It. Lacazette's going to score. Okay. Come off the bench and score. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll talk a bit more about Everton <laughs> <laughs> later, later in the week. We had a couple of questions uh, about Cedric. <laughs> yes. So... Peter Hust says, do you guys have any idea what's going to happen with Cedric? So far, he's still listed as one of our defenders. And Adam Holt, who's at Holty54, says, as he seems to be still in the squad, is there an argument for using Cedric as an energy saver for the other defenders? 15 minutes from the end of a reasonably comfortable win a few times a season could save Ben White's significant minutes. Six times equals saving one match. I, I get where he's coming from. The problem is I, I slightly fear that bringing Cedric on is what transforms uh, a, a, a game from comfortable to less comfortable. Yeah, if we're 19-0 ahead <laughs> with six seconds to go, I would feel okay about bringing Cedric on. Yeah. I mean, s- listen, some learned pundits, uh, myself, have said from the get-go that they believed Cedric would still be here when the window closed. Um, and I'm pretty close to kind of winning that bet, essentially. Well, he's, Turkey's pretty much the only escape route at this point in time, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, unless, of course, you become a free agent, which I think, you know... It's not um, beyond the realms of possibility. ...allows you to then sign four clubs outside the transfer window, right? Yes, I think that the cost of making him a free agent, I think Arsenal would rather pay his wages until January. I may I may be wrong. This is pure guesswork. I think Arsenal would rather pay his wages until January and have a Cedric in a box at London Colney marked break glass in case of Emergence. injury crisis. <laughs> I, I honestly think that is probably what's going to happen. Just because of the timber thing, um, they might just say, rather than give you a lump sum to go away, here are your wages, be a good boy, train nicely. You can come with us to some cup games 
Um, European games because you can name 62 substitutes in exactly. Champions League. You can travel, be part of the squad. Uh, fingers crossed you don't play. Um, <laughs> you think they'll say that to him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're really hoping you never have to play again, but until then, you know, just remain dedicated, professional, give your best. You never know when your opportunity might come, but we definitely don't want you to have that opportunity. I think they no might put sort of d- delicately omit that particular right. Line. But I'm sure in the conversations, you know, between Edu and Arteta, they may be more frank about that. Mm. I mean, I genuinely think that that's probably what's going to happen. What, what do you think? I mean, uh, you're probably right. A warm body just in case, but yeah. I mean, that's another one where, you know, when you say the cost of paying him off, you know, would lead you to look at the deal that was done in the first place and ask exactly. why, why, why? Ever such a long contract <laughs> we gave him. Ever um, such a long contract. On such a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean... I think what's extraordinary is given that we paid relatively little to sign him, he would still be right up alongside Pepe in most people's uh, disastrous signings sort of Mm -hmm. uh, list. Yeah. And, um, you know, we spoke about a lack of interest in Pepe. I think if, I think if, if a club that Cedric, if a decent club came in for him, he'd probably go, you know, he was up for going to Fulham last January. Um, mm. Of course, he went there and didn't play. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it just seems like there haven't really been any takers. And that doesn't massively surprise me. And I think given that he's, you know, liked and not a disruptive influence and all those things, I think they might just say, stick around in, in case we in case we need you. Mm. Something to look forward to then, eh? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about the bringing him on. I think the point about rotating fullbacks and giving Ben White minutes where he can recover is a, a fair one. I just think there are other players. You know, if, if you've got Tommy Asu available, you'd be using him. Yes, right? yeah. Or even Thomas Partey. Or, or, you know, I think there are lots of things you would do before pressing the, the Cedric button. The C word. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's still here. Cedric always finds a way. He always finds a way. Um, I had that question actually lined up as well. It's just thrown me. What about this? Okay. From Jesus' time. (laughs) Jesus' time, I imagine. Um, Why does everyone seem to lose their shit over transfer fees? At the end of the day, it's not our money per se. And if we are buying well and performing, then who cares? Seems to me that most of the outgoings aren't Mikel's players anyway. So the fact we massively overpaid for them in his place, in the first place, isn't his fault or KSE's in some instances. I didn't say it was his fault. I mean, it is KSE's fault. They're the ones that paid the money. They're always ultimately responsible. Yeah, no, they're the owners and they're the ones that sanctioned those deals and and all the rest of it. But, you know, they also sanctioned a, a sort of sporting director, whatever, based on like Ivan Gazidis going, this guy's all right. And they went, okay. Yeah. That's the way to run a football club. And then they discovered and probably are still discovering when they're paying Nicolas Pepe off that it is not the way to run a football club. I mean, why should we give a shit about transfer fees? I suppose the very obvious reason is that the more you bring in, the easier it is for you to reinvest. 
Yeah. Right? So Arteta said something at the end of the transfer window along the lines of, yeah, maybe there was a couple of things or maybe there was something we wanted to do, but we weren't able to. And I think probably the reason we weren't able to is because we didn't get money in for Kieran Tierney. We didn't get you know money for a few players and you're um, you know paying people off and that costs money as well. So that's, I guess, the reason why people give a shit or go mad or whatever the, the phrasing was is because, yeah, look, it's not our money. But ultimately, if you've got another 40 million, 50 million in the bank, maybe you can bring in another good player and that gives you a better and deeper and, and stronger squad. So that would be my answer. I think that's a good answer. Nothing to add, really. Okay. I, I think basically the reason people lose their shit is that, uh, having said nothing to add, um, <laughs> uh, people determine that there is an equivalence or relationship between how much you get for sales and how much you can spend yeah and that is that is broadly true um the more you get in the more you can put out and uh as much money as we've spent this summer we might have been able to spend even more had we sold somebody here's one from glenn doozy who's at jihads 13 he said hypothetically would you trade the concession of first-minute goals if it meant we didn't get 90th-minute winners like Bournemouth, Villa, and Manchester United times two? Mm, G has 13, the lesser-known spin-off to Ocean's 13. <laughs> I, uh, would I trade it? No, I guess not. I guess not. Mm. I'd like to uh, sort of have... I, I didn't understand, I didn't necessarily realise it was an either or, you know? No, I mean, it's not. It's a hypothetical. It's just a question on a podcast. Oh, See? he hasn't got the powers to make this. No. Happen. Okay. I, listen, I, I think you wouldn't really trade those last minute, last minute winners for much other than, say, a Premier League title, I think. I wouldn't trade them, but I would happily not concede any more goals in the first minute yeah and you know i love those moments loved it against united at the weekend loved it against bournemouth loved it against aston villa but at the same time you know it's not necessarily great for the blood pressure and the heart rate as we touched on last as week. your garmin has made clear yeah so i'm not saying i would trade them but if we could not concede in the first minute and then win more games a little more yeah. comfortably <laughs> in normal time, I'd be I'd be happy with that because you know those those Bournemouth memories and the United memories they will live a long time, you know. So you don't you don't forget those; they feel uh, vital for quite a long time. So that you don't need them every week, you know. One, yeah, once I, I, a season I maybe. I, I wouldn't want to lose them, but I suppose, yeah, I could, I could live without many more. If you see what I mean, yeah, for the net for a little while, we've had our fill. I think it's tricky because, yeah, does a three nil, let's say we beat Man United two nil, right, and we just were completely in control and it was serene. Does that feel any worse than beating them in the last minute? I think it feels different, doesn't it? It feels different. It's different, it's obviously, yeah. But, but you know, we, we've had those sort of wins over United in the past, and, and I enjoy them a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's a different kind of enjoyment. It's a different experience, of course. But um, I yeah. think ultimately, yeah, it's tricky. 
because football's so much about moments, isn't it? You mm. know, especially if you're not winning silverware every year, those moments become all the more precious. And so mm. you'd be so, very reluctant to trade them away. But yeah, I, well, it's funny. I think if you ask Mikel Arteta, I know what he'd say. Yes. I think he'd say, as much as he comes out afterwards and says, oh, these moments are galvanising and we work hard for this and all that, he'd love dominance and control and calm, mm-hmm. I think. I think that's true. Um, what about this? Critical T on the Discord has come up with a game for us. All right, are you okay. game for the game? I'm game for the game. Okay, goodly morning, gents, says Critical T. Due to it being the interlar, I thought it would be a good time to play a game. You're absolutely right. I've picked five player rating comments from Ask Blog News over the years. Oh, wow. And it's your job to guess who the rating and comment is for. A bonus point for guessing the match. Okay. Uh, okay. And then it says, hint, the ratings are broken for a couple of seasons, so a large part of the Alexis and Ozil era are actually missing. So, all right. Okay. So, rating one, eight out of ten, full of drive and running, and he scored one of the greatest goals in Premier League, perhaps even Arsenal history. He started and finished the move. This is going to be replayed forever. (sighs) Wow. Jack Wilshire against Jack Wilshire Norwich. That would be my guess. The answer is. Jack Wilshire Norwich. Yes, get 4-1, in. 2013-14. Incredible. You remember every player rating. Right. <laughs> I, I do think the whole starting and finishing a move while scoring yeah. one of the greatest Arsenal goals of all time is a is a good hint, though. In yes, fairness. I thought. I suspect. I was thinking might be of Giroud Scorpion, you know, because he was involved in that move early. But drive and running, it's got to be a midfield player. Okay, what about this? Racing two, nine out of ten. Ooh. Oh, boy, says Andrew. <laughs> Two amazing finishes, and this is just what he needed to really kickstart his Arsenal career. Oh, wow. Two it's, amazing finishes. Yeah. I've got a guess. Oh, I mean... Who scored two amazing goals to kickstart their Arsenal career? I mean, two goals in the one game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I wonder if it's Pepe, the two free kicks. Oh, but but would you have described free kicks as finishes? N- no, I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I'm sometimes I'm just a, you know banging you the ratings out. You know, you got to get them out yeah. quickly. So you don't know that years later they're going to be analysed closely on a yeah. podcast. Well, I'll guess. I'll guess Pepe. Uh, is it that? What is yeah, it? Yeah, let's guess that. Right. Yeah, okay. The answer is Nicola Pepe, Vittoria, 3-2, 2019-20. Hey, we're two for two, Andrew. Great finishes. Great finishes. <laughs> um, I, yeah, interesting. Okay, R- here we go. Rating three, eight and a half out of ten. Not quite as good as Pepe against Victoria, but better than Jack Wilshire against Norwich. What a player he is. Even at 3-0 down, didn't let, he, he didn't let his head go down. Led the team by the way he played. Four successful dribbles, four key passes, and he was Fabregas levels of influential when the team needed him. I know what that is. I think that's Martin Odegaard against 
West Ham away from home? He's got it. West Ham 3, Arsenal 3, 2020-21. Wow. I mean, that was a hell of a performance. I still remember that. Yeah. He was only on loan at that time. Yeah, that's right. And yet he still really tried. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Rating four. Seven out of ten. What a signing. A goal on his debut must feel great, having waited so long to make it. Oh, what a what a, what a su- signing is that? I suspect that could ironic. be tongue in cheek, all right? Yes. You don't use a lot of exclamation marks. There was one after Oh Boy, of course, when Nicola Pepe banged in those two free kicks. But what a signing. I think there's a. Oh, I know who this is. Do you? I think so. Because he signed yeah. and he was injured a lot. And if I'm being ironic, it means I don't think it was a very good signing. <laughs> of course. And I'm trying Your to think, mine. who did we sign with a knee injury during the fucking old uh, lockdown thing and everything? It's got to be Cedric, right? It's got to be. Let's have a look. Cedric Suarez, Arsenal 4, Norwich nil. I hope you're playing along at home, What a guys. signing. What a signing. Oh, boy, what a signing. Okay, <laughs> rating five. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you very much to Critical T. Six out of ten. Mm. Like Rosicki, didn't really find his passing range and was crowded out as Bayern obviously had him earmarked as the most dangerous Arsenal player. Like Rosicki. So we're going back in time. Going back. Um, the most dangerous Arsenal player. I mean, I'm going to say Mesut Ozil. Yeah, me too. It was not Ooh. Mesut Ozil. Any other guesses? Uh, it was, I'll tell you the game. Okay. Well, it was obviously against Bayern. Yes. It was 2-0 in 2012-13. Did we win that? Was that the one away from home where we almost... Where they ended up taking the ball down into the corner. Yes, correct. A spirited performance. Giroud and Koscielny with the goals. But this guy, in a 2-0 win at the Allianz Arena, dropped a 6 out of 10. Fuck. Um, I've got no idea. Aaron Ramsey? The answer was... He's just probably screaming at home, guys. Santi... Oh, my goodness. Of course. Our most dangerous player. Most dangerous player. There you go. Wow. Well, that was fun. That was good. I enjoyed that. Nice to have a little game. It was. Here's a couple of quick ones just to finish us off. Um, One slightly serious one, and we're not quite so serious. George AM, who's at Jams7104, says, How much do you think the club care about team news leaking early? We can all see the source of where the info is coming from clearly. He says, Chelsea fan with insight to Declan Rice transfer. I'm not aware of where it's coming from, but I have noticed that Arsenal team news gets out into the ether much more than it ever did. Like the lineups are being posted, you know, hours before. Um, Do you think that's something the club will try and shut down? And, you know, based on Mikel Arteta's great desire to keep things as in-house and secretive as possible at all times, do you think he will be perturbed by this new development? I think he will. 
I think you will. It's interesting. I think a lot of it has come from sort of fancy football culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think fancy football's really taken hold in, well, uh, all over the place, frankly. It was always sort of a bit niche and now it's absolutely mainstream. And I think, consequently, there's huge interest in who's going to play. And, you know, there have been instances in the past where, you know, players play and they have teams and they sub out a guy who's picked up an injury in training the day before. Mm. Um, I think information... It's not just Arsenal. You know, I think most lineups or, or key decisions in lineups are getting out there now. Yeah. Certainly if there's an injury, people find out. I mean, the Thomas Partey one, you know, for Manchester United was, was interesting because, um, you know, whispers uh, began that he was potentially going to miss out. Mm-hmm. And then... Arsenal put out some training picks. I don't know if you saw, and he was among them. And everybody said, mm-hmm. "Ah, he's fine." Uh, and, and and genuinely, I think that may have been a bit of sort of deception on behalf of the club because I think he was injured on the Thursday. Um, I think this information is really valuable, and I think the club really don't want it out there. Mm. So I just don't know what Arteta can do, really. Um, about it, but shut I, down I, the I've, internet. Yes, shut down the internet. Yeah, Just shut down the entire internet. Yeah, that's all. That's the only way. Disable the Wi-Fi at London Colney for a start. <laughs> yeah. Change the password. Yeah, um, I don't think he'll be liking it. That's for sure. I mean, it's not the biggest issue in the world, but I don't think he'll be liking it. No, I'd be interested to know what people think about this. So, something of a, a dilemma you sometimes have as a reporter around injury news is like is it is it news like i suppose it is news but you know everyone's going to find out the lineup at 2 p.m say for mm-hmm. a 3 p.m kickoff if you happen to know at 12 p.m that thomas part is injured or mm. you know um i don't know gabriel martinelli's got the flu is that news? Like, you know, should you be reporting that? Or is it sort of, because um, it's really unhelpful in terms of your relationships. It certainly, you know, annoys everyone. Yeah. Um, but it is it, it is um, reportable information. Exactly. But, you know, does it give the opposition a potential advantage? Like, yeah. I guess it's one of those where you kind of have to weigh up whether or not putting that information out in the public domain is is sort of hugely beneficial you know to your work as a reporter i mean maybe ahead of a very big game or something it might be yeah if and if it's a big player i think i think if it's a big game or a big player you'll we let's say are more inclined to run it as a news item mm. um other times it feels like you're just leaking team news and that's sort of slightly murkier territory yeah um but it is an ongoing debate and kind of every injury every one of these injuries we have sort of that internal discussion and obviously uh, you know as, as part of me as a fan that's like uh desperate to just keep everything still <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> of course which isn't always possible no, no. but um, fortunately in the case of thomas Partey, the ghana fa had that one covered uh they came out and announced it 
So well, that's because they're they're sort of launching their new subscription based long form <laughs> website. They did it for the hits. Yeah. They did it for the clicks. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, final one, very quickly. Uh, a S37 Gunnar on the Discord. Morning, gents. Have you seen the Zinchenko interview where he mentions Mikel and Edu going around for a meeting at his house and the doorbell rings and he finds Gabriel Jesus at the door? How much of these personal touches, managers going around to players' houses, etc., how much of those happen that none of us know of? I also saw a story of Pep going around to Gundogan's house when he found out uh, when he found out they were expecting a baby. That's a bit weird. Yeah, I saw a transcript. I've not actually seen um, the full interview. I I just saw a quote Mm. from Zinchenko about that. And it sounded quite funny, to be honest. I think, yeah, Gabriel Jesus basically turned up unannounced. Surprise! Um, And I'd be very curious to know when exactly that was. Uh, We'll probably never find out. But who knows? Mm. Maybe maybe it was before Gabriel Jesus was officially an Arsenal player. Um, Don't know. Because when the Zinchenko deal was done, Zinchenko was in uh, America with Man City when the fee was agreed and Arsenal were granted permission to mm. speak with him. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of this does go on behind closed doors. Uh, I think turning up with a player <laughs> is probably a bit unusual. Um but I think those personal touches can make all the difference, you know, and say, for example, in a deal like the Declan Rice deal, where Rice ultimately was swayed to choose Arsenal and stuck with Arsenal despite interest from Man City. I think the personal nature of Arsenal's approach and the way they went about it Mm. and the the sort of intensity with which they pursued him and kept in contact with him, I think was critical to his final decision. Um, so I think it does make a difference. And I know of situations where Arsenal, you know, they won't just woo the player. The player's family is a huge part of that. And they go to some lengths uh, to make people feel welcome and part of the project. Mm. And, you know, when David Rye was um, um, signing his contract the other day at Arsenal, I don't know if you saw, but there was quite a nice video where all his family were present and they'd got a shirt printed for his grandfather with yeah. his grandfather's name on the back. Listen, it doesn't cost a lot for Arsenal to do these things, but I think it actually does count for a lot with players. And I think they really remember it. And I think it goes a long way. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to be nice. Nice to be nice. Unless you're, you know, a cruel and evil bastard who, you know, flip-flops and decides to stick the knife into a player they've been nice about just moments before. I know, right. Right. What can I say, guys? Guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have Pep turning up at your house. That's what (laughs) will happen. Can't imagine anything worse. Yeah, imagine. Um, Okay, we had better leave it there because uh, we've got to jump on with... um, with Big Mike, he's doing his 27-hour pot-a-thon, oh, and we're yeah. going to be jumping on with him at midday. So by the time people listen to this, we'll be there and gone. But he's doing an amazing thing to raise money for uh, cancer prevention. So uh, if you've been part God of that... God knows what sort of state he's in at this point. He's been doing it a while now, hasn't we'll be, he? Uh, we'll run rings around him, I'd say, at this point. <laughs> He'll be hallucinating with tiredness the whole lot. So we better get on and do that. We will, of course, uh, have something else for you in midweek. We're going to have a, an episode of Waffle for you over on Patreon. If you fancy signing up to get uh, involved with that, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash rspot for now. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.